Well, uh, we, uh, over the last few weeks, have been talking about good news. Of course, we live in a world where there does seem to be so much bad news, but we are, are gathering together around good news, the good news that we have in Jesus, the good news that God has come to be with us in Christ, the good news that in Jesus, God is the ruler of the world. And the good news that through Christ, the promises that God has made have reached out to us. And we're doing that by going through a whole series on, on the, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, the letter to the Galatians. And throughout this, whole, throughout this whole letter, Paul's concern is that the people in Galatia understand what the gospel is. Now, just to back up a little bit to give you some context, maybe you'll remember this from the last couple of weeks. Maybe you've forgotten it. Maybe this is your first time here in a little bit, and so we just need, need the big picture. So here's the context. Paul's writing to the church in Galatia, and he had been there and he had preached before. But in Paul's absence, some other folks had come in to preach this other message, the, what Paul will call another gospel. And what they're telling the folks in Galatia is that to be a Christian, first you have to become a Jew. You have to follow the Jewish law, and uh, in particular, if you are a male, you need to be circumcised. If you want to be part of God's covenant, these other folks are saying, you need to follow all the stuff that you see in the Old Testament. You need to become a Jew, follow the Jewish law, do the things that mark off Jews as Jews. Well, Paul finds out about this, and Paul is absolutely livid, and you can see this throughout the letter. And he says, no, that's not it. To become a Christian, you don't have to first be a Jew. Yes, God's good news has come through the Jews, but it's come to all the world so that Jews and Gentiles can both receive the promises that God made to Abraham. That's largely what we're, what we're talking about today. And, and so Paul says, no, you folks who have come into Galatia after me, you've misunderstood the gospel. You have substituted faith in Christ and faith in God for the works of the flesh, he said, for the works of the law. But we don't live by law. We don't live by flesh. We live by faith, a faith that certainly affects the way that we live our lives. But we don't need the markers of the Jewish law, and we don't need the... Um, we don't need circumcision in particular to mark off the people of God as the people of God because of what has happened by Jesus. Now, this isn't like, okay, understand, this isn't like a minor theological disagreement. It's just like, oh, well, you know, the other folks who came after Paul, they have their own way of interpreting things, and Paul has his way of interpreting things. According to Paul, this goes to the very heart of what the gospel is. To understand who God is and what God has done in Jesus, you have to get this. You have to get it. And he, and he develops that in different ways throughout the letter. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how this comes by revelation. Paul is very clear that this is a message that hasn't come, uh, that he didn't learn from someone else. It came directly from God to him. So the good news that we have is a matter of revelation, that God has given it to Paul and, and gives it to us. Last week, uh, Fred was here, and Fred preached about justification by faith. The good news, the content of this good news that we have from Paul, the content of the revelation, is that we are made right with God, we're put in a right relationship, we're lined up in the right way with God because of faith and not by the works of the law or the works of flesh. 
And so that's the first two parts of this good news series. Today we're going to focus on something else uh, that's related, of course, but its own particular way of understanding the gospel. And that's that the gospel means that we are heirs to the promise, that we are heirs to the promise of God. And this is, this is absolutely essential that we get it. I'm going to do things a little bit different than I have in a lot of sermons before. Um, one, uh, I was trying to decide, you know, the lectionary reading is like six verses. And I just couldn't leave it at six verses, right? I was like, well, we need to do this, and we need to do this, and we need to do this. And pretty soon I had the whole chapter of Galatians 3 uh, that I wanted to preach from, and so that's what we're going to do. Um, because I figure, what's better, a little bit of Bible or a lot of Bible? What I tell you could be wrong, but what Paul tells you in Galatians, I'm 100% sure is right. So we're going to tackle all of Galatians 3 this morning. Be brave. Hold on to your seats, okay? Um, the other thing is that this is, I mean, we're trying to get a big picture here. I challenged y'all a couple of weeks ago through this month to read through Paul's letter to the Galatians. Maybe some of y'all, I won't ask for hands, maybe some of y'all have already read through all of Galatians a couple of times. Uh, if you haven't, um, hey, it's not too late. We're living by faith and not by works, right? So, so read it this week, and I'll give you all of chapter three today, so you really got a head start, okay? Um, so read this. I want you to get the big picture of what's going on. Um, and today I'm going to be doing a lot more just telling you what the text says than how to apply it. And, and the reason for that is that I think if you get this, if you get the content of this good news, then the Holy Spirit's going to do the work in your own heart to tell you what this means for your life. Um, when I first heard this explained, uh, it opened my eyes to so many things. Uh, and in, partic in particular, the stuff that you're going to hear about Abraham, if you get this, you get so much more of what it means for us to believe in Christ. So listen, listen for this stuff today. Um, and let it wash over you. Let the big picture draw you into it so that we can hear this good news that, that Christ has for us today. Uh, so we're going to be taking some, some, big, some big hunks of, of Scripture. All right. So the first one is this. Galatians 3, 1 through 9, God's promise to Abraham. And as we read this together, I want you to be listening for this, this concept. God's promise to Abraham. Let's read together. You witless Galatians, I told you Paul was upset. Who has bewitched you? King Jesus was portrayed on the cross before your very eyes. There's just one thing I want to know from you. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of Torah or by hearing and believing? Are you so witless? You began with the Spirit, and now you're ending with the flesh? Did you really suffer so much for nothing, if indeed it is going to be for nothing? The one who gives you the Spirit and performs powerful deeds among you, does he do this through your performance of Torah or through hearing and believing? It's like Abraham, he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So you know that it's the people of faith who are children of Abraham. The Bible foresaw that God would justify the nations by faith. So it announced the gospel to Abraham in advance when it declared the nations will be blessed in you. So you see, the people of faith are blessed along with faithful Abraham. All right, let's explore that a little bit. God's promise to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham. Sometimes we kind of forget Abraham. I've noticed this looking through my girls' children's Bibles. The way our Old Testament, like, elementary version of it will often go, not always, 
And we don't do that here in our children's ministry, but this is just sort of what's in our mind. You go through the Old Testament story, and it's, it's Adam and Eve, of course, all right? And we get that story, and then there's Noah, and we read the Noah story, and then Moses. And we just skip on down to Moses because Moses has a baby in the story. Well, we're, we're missing a central part of the story when we do that. Of course, y'all all, hopefully, y'all all know who Abraham is, and you study that in, uh, before. Um, but sometimes, just sort of in our quick version of the, the stories that we tend to go to in the Old Testament, we will often skip over Abraham. Well, that's unimaginable for someone who's Jewish. That might be possible for us. Unimaginable for somebody who's Jewish. Because Abraham is the one to whom the promise was given that a nation would be made out of his people. Father Abraham. You remember the, the song from when, you were, from when you were a kid. Had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. All right, This is the fundamental promise, the fundamental beginning of the Jewish people. God makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to make a great people, a great nation out of him. And that's what Paul is drawing on when he, when he talks about Abraham here in Galatians. And what Paul tells us is that Abraham gives us um, both the example and the content of our faith. Both the example and the content of faith. And just a note on that word faith. Sometimes in English people will try to make a, a distinction between faith and belief. Well, in, in Greek at least, there's no distinction. Faith and belief... Um, or faithfulness and faith and belief, whenever you see that, those words in this whole passage, lump them together. It's coming from the same root. So to believe, to have faith, to be faithful, those things are all connected together. All right. So first, Abraham as our example. And you see that here in the first bolded hotline. It's like Abraham, he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe God about? What Paul is quoting there, he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, comes from Genesis 15, uh, 15, 6. What did, what did Abraham believe God about? This is after Abraham has already received the promise. That happens back in Genesis 12. We're going to work our way back to Genesis 12. Um, and, and Abraham's been promised an heir and this great people, but Abraham's getting older, and he's starting to wonder if this is really legitimate. So God appears to Abraham in a vision, and he tells him this. He brings him outside and said, look, out, look towards the heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him, or counted it to him as righteousness. What does Abraham believe God about? Abraham believes God that he will make a great nation out of him, that all, he'll have all of these descendants, that all of these people will be blessed because of what's happening right now to Abraham. And guess what? We are some of those points, some of those stars that Abraham looks out and he sees. At this great remove from the time when Abraham lived, we are the ones who were heirs to that promise, even though we're not Jewish. And we're going to see how that, that works here in a minute. So Abraham believes God. So he is the fundamental example of what it is for us to have faith. He hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't had any kids that God had told him. He hasn't, he hasn't done any of the stuff that he's going to do, but he believes God and God counts that in advance as righteousness, as being in a right 
relationship with him. And the, and the content of what he's believing God for is these heirs that he will have. All right, so let's look at a little bit more of this content. We've already hinted at it. What is Abraham, what is this promise that Abraham is believing God for? For that, we go back to Genesis 12. If you have your Bibles here, you're going to be flipping a lot between Genesis and Galatians. So just keep a, a thumb and a forefinger on each, on each side. So Genesis 12. Now, this is when God is first calling Abraham, and at this point he's still called Abram. All right? He's calling him out of Ur to go uh, to, this, to, this, to the promised land. And this is, what God, this is what God says to Abram. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Listen here. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I will, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, or what Paul quotes right here that you can see bolded, the nations will be blessed by you. So what is the content of God's promise to Abraham? It is not only that Israel will be a great country, the content of God's promise to Abraham is that in him, the whole world will be blessed. The nations will be blessed. We in a place that Abraham had never heard of and would never hear of will be blessed. We who are Gentiles and not Jews from a different people at years and, and years removed will be blessed. The whole world will be blessed because of this promise that God is giving Abraham. That's the mission of Israel. That's the mission of the people from, of God from the very beginning. If anyone tells you that Jews thought that they had an exclusive mission and they were just by themselves, no, they didn't think that. They thought that through them, the whole world would be blessed. Now, like us and other people, sometimes they might have forgotten that, but that's the promise to the Jewish people. That's the promise to the children of Israel, the, the children of Abraham, that through them the whole world will be blessed. So how do we become recipients of that? How do, how do we become heirs to this promise that God gave Abraham? For that, we need the next bit. We should be looking for God's promise through Jesus. So as we read this section, look for God's promise through Jesus. Let's read together. Because you see, those who belong to the works of the law camp are under a curse. Yes, that's what the Bible says. Cursed is everyone who doesn't stick fast by everything written in the book of the law to perform it. But because nobody is justified before God in the law, it is clear that the righteous shall live by faith. The law, however, is not by faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live in them. The Messiah redeemed, that's Jesus, the Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse on our behalf. As the Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. This was so that the blessing of Abraham could flow through to the nations in King Jesus and so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the promise made to Abraham comes to us by whom? Say it together. It's the Sunday school answer that's always right. Jesus, right? The promise that God makes to Abraham comes to us through Jesus. Now, what, what Paul is doing here as he writes to the Galatians is he is contrasting what they have in Abraham to what they know through the law that, that came from Moses. And he's trying to reorient them to like, look, your covenant, your relationship with God is not fundamentally based on 
the law. It's based on this promise that God made to Abraham. The law is not faith. The law is, is law, all right? And the hitch with the law is that you have to perfectly keep it, and no one does that. No one perfectly keeps the, the Jewish law. And so what was given for a reason, and we'll get to the reason for a minute, kind of becomes a curse because no one can keep the law perfectly. Cursed is everyone who doesn't stick fast by everything that's written in the book of the law to perform it. And we can't seem to do that. No one can seem to do that. So the law, which was meant to give life, becomes a curse and cuts us off from God. It, it illuminates the sin that's in, that's in our lives. And, and Paul goes through this in great detail in, in other places. And that's a, that's a sermon for, for another day. So the law, the law can't give us this right relationship with God. This law that the folks who have come in after Paul and want to make all the new Christians follow to become Christians, Paul's saying, look, that doesn't work because that doesn't give life because no one can keep all of that perfectly. And, for, and on top of that, that law isn't faith. The promise comes originally th from Abraham through faith. So the law can never give you what Abraham had with God or what we have with Christ. But the good news, the, the good news is that Jesus has redeemed us from this curse that we have by not perfectly keeping the law, by keeping the law perfectly himself, and then enduring the curse that has come. And he quotes this, this line from the Psalms, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, referring to Jesus on the cross, that Jesus, even though he kept the law, bore the punishment for not keeping the law so that the blessing that was to Abraham, the blessing to all the nations, could flow to us because Jesus has done what we could not. So we can receive the promise of the spirit of faith, that we can get the promises of Abraham not through the law, but through faith, through faith in Christ, uh, through faithfulness, through faith like Abraham, who is our example of faith, had as well. So that brings us to our next section. Jesus' faithfulness and our faith, as we kind of put this all together. And if it's not clear yet where we are, I think maybe, hopefully in this section, it'll become a little more clear. Jesus' faithfulness and our faith. Let's read together. My brothers and sisters... Let me use a human illustration. When someone makes a covenanted will, nobody sets it aside or adds to it. Well, the promises were made to Abraham and his seed, that is, his family. It doesn't say his seeds, as though referring to several families, but indicates a single family by saying, and to your seed, meaning the Messiah. This is what I mean. God made this covenanted will, the law, which came 430 years later. Uh, can't, and can't undermine it and make the promise null and void. If the inheritance came through the law, it would no longer be by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the family should come to whom it had been promised. It was laid down by angels at the hand of a mediator. He, who, however, is not the mediator of the one, but God is one. Is the law then against God's promises? Of course not. No, if a law had been given that could have given life, then covenant membership really would have been given by the law. But the Bible shut up everything together under the power of sin so that the promise which comes by the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah should be given to those 
who believe. So that the promise which comes by the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah should be given to those who believe. Now, I know this section is kind of complicated, but what Paul is doing is taking us back to, to God's original promise through some pretty fun interpretation of, of Scripture. What, what Paul says is that this first bolded line, um, that a, a single family, but, but it indicates a single family by saying, and to your seed, meaning the Messiah. What, what Paul is doing here is quoting Genesis 22. So if you have Genesis 22, take a look at it right quick, starting at verse 15. This is after Abraham has taken his son Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him. And God says, you've believed me. You don't need to, you don't need to sacrifice your son. And it says this. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you, and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. So this story in which a, a father is willing to give up his only son, like God would be willing to give up his only son, uh, and be faithful. Paul says, shows us what God has intended all along. And what Paul notes in reading this is that it doesn't say that offspring here in Genesis 22 isn't plural. Now, of course, when we think of offspring, we think of a whole bunch of people, right? And the promise to Abraham has been given that this great nation will come out of it. But Paul looks really carefully at this text and says, look, it doesn't say, and to your offsprings, it says, and to your offspring as of one. And so the offspring, or the seed, as in some translations of it, that is promised to Abraham is Jesus. The whole intention of God from the very, very beginning is that the, God's mission to the whole world, that the nations would be blessed, is going to come through the one offspring of Abraham these thousands, years, uh, thousands of years later who will fulfill all of these promises. The promise is to the Messiah, the one, to Jesus. The real mission of Abraham is fulfilled in one person, in Jesus. It's not that just more and more people, they have more and more kids, and it just grows and grows and grows, and everybody sees them and says, oh, that's great, and the whole world is blessed. No, it comes to us through Jesus. There's the one faithful recipient of the promise made to Abraham, who then makes that available to the whole world, and we are the ones who are the recipients of that. And so then he highlights here in verse 22. But the Bible shut up everything together under the power of sin. Talking about through, we talked about how the law um, reveals the, the sin that we are not able to keep God's, God's rules perfectly. So that the promise which comes by the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah should be given to those who believe. So that the promise which comes by the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah should be given to those who believe. Now some of your translations may say um, the promise which comes by faith in the Messiah. And that's a possible translation. The literal translation would be the promise which comes by the faith of Jesus Christ or the faith of Christ. And that can mean one of two things. 
It could mean our faith in Christ. And certainly we should have faith in Christ. I mean, we, at the end here, that should be given to those who believe. We need to believe. Uh, but I think the better translation here is that it is through the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah. And the point that Paul is making here is that we are the recipients of God's grace, not by what we have done. Remember, this whole letter is about that we can't earn God's love. We can't earn God's favor. We can't keep the law perfectly and then sort of get in good grace. It's about faith and not works. What Paul is saying is that, look, this promise that God made to Abraham, that he would have this offspring who would bless the nations, that's happened in Jesus because Jesus has been faithful. Where we were not able to be faithful, Jesus has been faithful to what God has given him. And so through him, because we believe in him, all of us can be blessed. So what, what this means for us is that the gospel isn't simply that we should believe enough or that we should love God enough. Our belief and our love is important, but what comes first is God's faithfulness to us. Because God has been faithful to us, we believe in him. Because God has first loved us, we love him. And look, if you don't get this, you'll never, you'll never have comfort and peace with God. If you're constantly wondering, do I believe enough? Do I love enough? And you haven't got this vision that God has been faithful to you first, that God has loved you first, that God has believed through Christ, has been faithful through Christ first, we'll always be restless because our, our ground will be shaky, our ground will be ourselves. But if we hear this promise that God has made through Abraham, through Jesus, to us, we have solid ground because we know that God is our foundation, that Christ's faithfulness is our foundation. And the last section, the last section here, heirs to the promise. Starting with verse 23. Before this faithfulness arrived, we were kept under guard by the law in close confinement until the coming faithfulness should be revealed. Thus the law was like a babysitter for us, looking after us until the coming of the Messiah, so that we might be given covenant membership on the basis of faithfulness. But now that faithfulness has come, we are no longer under the rule of a babysitter. For you are all children of God through faith in the Messiah, Jesus. You see, every one of you who has been baptized into the Messiah has put on the Messiah. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no male and female. You are all one in the Messiah, Jesus. And if you belong to the Messiah, you are Abraham's family. You stand to inherit the promise. You stand to inherit the promise. This last line, we often take this as a sort of a statement of, well, everybody's the same with God. And it's kind of this like, oh, we should all be tolerant of each other. There's no male and female, no slave or free, no Jew or Greek. Um, and this is about how we all have equal status with God. But we need to, to hear why. We, we all have equal status with God because we are all equally heirs to what God has promised Abraham, that through him all the nations would be blessed. Heirs to this, this inheritance that God had promised that Abraham would be able to pass down. To be a Jew or a Greek affects, if you can inherit, Jews inherit from Abraham, Greeks do not. Free people inherit, slaves do not. And in the ancient world, males inherited and females usually didn't. But Paul says that's no more. Whether you're male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, the whole world, the whole world 
inherits this promise that God had had from the very beginning to save all the world or to make salvation available to all the world through Abraham, the one who believed God. That has come through Jesus, the one who is faithful in a way that no one else, including Abraham himself, could ever be. And so what do we have now? What do we have now? We have belonging. We belong to a people. We belong to a family. We belong to an inheritance. Look, we live in an isolated culture where we are disconnected from each other, where often we feel betrayed, where often we, where we feel trapped in our own sin and our own silos of life. And if that is you this morning, what Paul is telling you through Galatians is to hear that you are loved by the God who has been faithful. That God's plan from the very beginning was to offer you salvation through Christ, through the faithfulness of Christ to the mission of God, the faithfulness of Christ to save us. And that is here for us today. And if you believe that, then you are part of the Messiah's family. You are part of Abraham's family. You're part of Jesus' family. You are children of God the Father. You are heirs to the promise. You stand to inherit what God has for you. And so I want to invite you today, as the band comes back up and, and sings, and as we, as we praise God, and as uh, the altars are open, um, to ask yourselves if you believe in this God who's been faithful to you. And if you feel isolated, if you feel without a family, if you feel cut off from God, ask God what it means for, for him to extend to you an inheritance, a promise that he's had for you from the very beginning and gives us now and every day through Christ, through Christ who is faithful to God and who is faithful to us. Let's worship and let's pray.